Hey, welcome back to Intimate Interactions. Let's get back to discussing the ways we share love and intimacy with our fellow humans. Relationships, kink, polyamory, group sex, it's time to unlearn stigma and live our best lives as our best selves. All thanks to my amazing Patreon supporters. Intimate Interactions has no ads but this one. If you want to keep it that way, you can go to patreon.com slash victorsalmon. You get access to exclusive premium content like all of my coping with jealousy stuff. And hey, if that makes you jealous of my patrons, it sounds like it might be time to sign up. Free resources are available at victorsalmon.com slash resources, and book recommendations are at intimatepodcast.com forward slash books. Also, my Patreon supporters don't have to listen to this ad. Now, let's talk about the episode. Status and shame stick with each of us differently, and I suppose they follow us through life differently as well. Today we meet Lisa and Paula, two monogamous, vanilla, heterosexual women of color in their 40s. They're both successful entrepreneurs, mothers, wives, and they met during their MBA programs at UBC. We talk about the issues that suburban housewives face, such as wives and mothers putting their own needs last, as well as assumptions they're successful only because of their husbands. As with most relationships, long-term ones follow seasons of intimacy and connection. While there are many paths to intimacy, Lisa and Paula talk about their use of cannabis edibles to bridge across sexual shame through to a rich, intimate exchange with their monogamous life partners. They put their MBA degrees to use and decided to commercialize this idea by releasing their own microdoses of cannabis edibles. It's a high-end product called Trafel, marketed to suburban housewives. For clarity, I wasn't compensated for any of my podcasts with them, but they did give me a box of Trafel. So today we'll be talking about shame and specifically sexual shame, but in our next session, we'll move on from that conversation and talk about attraction, finding one's self-attractive, arousal, orgasm, and even non-monogamy. To be honest, I find their radically different experience of the world refreshing and interesting and thought you'd maybe enjoy sitting in on that conversation. I guess you could call us uh, entrepreneurs. <laughs> okay. Yep. Female entrepreneurs. Female entrepreneurs. Met in business school 10 yep. years ago. Mm-hmm. At UBC. And now we're... Or in our MBA, you say to call it MBA, not yeah, business Yeah, you school. say we, we met during our MBA. Sounds way more professional. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Thank you. Thank you yeah, for that. I'm, yes. I'm, I've been trying to convince her I'm very to modest. be proud of that. <laughs> Lisa always says, each of those letters costs us at least $10,000. <laughs> 12000 to be exact. It was $36,000. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a privilege to be able to afford that as well, well right? It was 10 oh, years no, ago. I was, yeah. Uh, it was now long. it's like 60 Yeah. I think it's doubled now. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's almost, so I think what's really fascinating about the way the two of you approach talking about your MBAs is the the notion of modesty, and I'm interested in how, like, gender ties into that. And, and how, culture. Like, culture. It's culture. Culture more than gender. Yeah. Uh, gender, too. There's definitely the, this, remember when we went to the women and money talk? Men will be much in, in the in. Western culture will be much more open yeah. to. But yeah, we can't speak to to men. Yeah, we can only. I can only speak to cultural culture right. when it comes to money. Right. Yeah, and you living in Richmond, <laughs> I'm sure you know. <laughs> well, I definitely, I definitely have friends for sure. <laughs> yeah. You don't and see any flaunting going around in Richmond. <laughs> uh, 
Well, they call UBC the University of Beautiful Cars for a reason. Oh, is that right? Is that what they call it now? Yeah, University of Beautiful Cars. That is, that is one name for it, yes. Um, but I just find it so interesting that, that um, are you using your name on the podcast? Yeah. Yeah, I can. So I can call you Paula and Lisa? Lisa, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, both MBAs from UBC. Yes. But it's interesting, Paula, how with the MBA, it's business school. Yes. And there's that notion of like of modesty, under promise, over deliver, that mm, whole angle. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. People will never be disappointed. Yeah. It's so true. It's yeah. it's like could have been anywhere. Yeah. And, and it I could think, have been a one month course. Are right. The one I described. Right? Yeah, we're 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 recording, yes. Okay. All right. All right. Cool. All right. Yeah. And where I come from, uh, mm -hmm. where I want to talk about how we met an MBA, it it just saves a lot of explaining where, oh, where did you get right. your MBA? And, um, you know, it's, it's credibility and right. credentials for me anyway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I come from it as a business point of view where I just want to establish our credibility in the in the beginning. Right. From a networking standpoint. Right. And when you talk about genders, I guess that plays a role as well, because um, as moms and wives um, and Lisa driving fancy cars, we can be touted <laughs> as as trophy wives or moms looking for a hobby and not be taken as seriously. Right. And so that credential also comes in. Interesting. Tell because me. if I was driving a 76 Pontiac, you would take me more seriously? No, I'm saying you're driving your, your luxury vehicle. Yeah. You've got, you've acquired some wealth. And not me, but I'm saying in general, uh -huh. it would be, oh, what, this is what I get. What does okay. your husband do? Because Right, right, right. That's what I get. That what, what does your husband do? Do you remember minimizing. when we had that, that meeting with, um, with uh, a few months ago? And I was telling this gentleman that we'd been living in France for seven months. Um, he knew I just bought this certain type of vehicle. Mm -hmm. He was hearing about my lifestyle. And then he said, oh, what does your husband do? Mm -hmm. Okay. And it was, it was never assumed that that could have been my entrepreneurial uh, level of success. Level on your of success own. I could have done it. Interesting. I never get that. I can see that being really insulting. Well, it's cultural, so I'm 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 okay because I know the background of where it comes from. But it and it's it's a shift, and I'm part of the shift. So you, I'm not. I don't take offense to it. I just find it fascinating that interesting that that's usually how the thinking will. I'm curious if underselling yourself might tie into it in a way that Lisa doesn't tend to get this. Interesting. But you do. I like that, that perspective. Absolutely true. Yes, like yes. I'm, I'm just I'm just throwing observations out there. No, it's true. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. For because culturally, right, uh, it it says a lot about how not just how successful you are, but your ability. Mm -hmm. uh, in in my culture, and I'm Chinese, mm -hmm. in terms of what you drive, where mm -hmm. you live, what handbag you have, those are kind right. of it, it. And in when you meet somebody in the Chinese culture, especially in China, mm -hmm. not so much over here, thank God, but. First conversation, people have no shame in asking you, what do you do? How much do you make? Right. Especially when you're seeing your future mother-in-law or father-in-law, right? <laughs> they really want to know that. And they want to know that fast because so, they want, they, it's credibility. Mm -hmm. And so if you have something to show for, it means that you're credible, not just because you're successful, you have money, because you have ability. Right. And that's where our culture comes from. 
Yeah, like a little bit of that, a, a, not just ability, but almost ambition. Ambi yeah, it's everything. Yeah. In addition, yeah. uh, you come from a very strong mother who built her wealth and her her uh, her yeah. empire, really. Yes, and you, that's you were raised true. under that. That's mm -hmm. true, but very I'm talking about the co the culture in general, mm -hmm. not right. just my the culture in my family. Absolutely, yeah. It's the you know the the Chinese yeah. culture. You know, in um, in China, they have meat markets now mm -hmm. for the singles, mm -hmm. where parents actually go to the park and they have pictures of their single uh, daughters and sons really and they actually put on there what they do what how much they make wow and they're there to meet to find other parents with other single <clears throat> daughters or sons to right. match them up the kids don't know about it don't know their parents are doing this but it is it is hugely important that the financials matched up right yeah. right because it's a status thing like it's a status thing and you don't want to be able to need to take care of of each other like it just doesn't. It's. I guess it's, it's a class thing as yeah, well. Yeah, it's similar to the Indian culture's castings, I guess, but it's just more out there. So, yeah, I mean, versus, it makes sense. They're literally neighboring countries, right? Yeah. 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 Versus for myself, which I come from um, a Catholic Christian background, yeah. flaunting isn't isn't admired. Right. right. You you are taught to be modest. You are taught that. Well, there's a saying that that. Uh, what is it? If for a rich man to get into heaven is about as difficult as a camel to Go get through. Go through the eye of a needle. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. says the atheist. <laughs> but I was I was also partly raised Roman Catholic yeah. as well. And and then um, and my background is from South America and Chile, where there really was um, a lot of poverty. Mm -hmm. So the last thing you would do is flaunt that you you have wealth right. because it's it was just considered unkind and un. Right. Yeah. So I find that fascinating because I wonder how much, and please correct me because I wouldn't know, um, mm -hmm. but how much Chinese culture places importance on, on, on wealth as a means of building security for yourself and your children. Hugely. So it's, it's really fascinating to me, such radically different approaches to wealth similar. Because security. Right. Yeah. That's why Chinese people love real estate, love to buy real estate because it's security for them. Yeah, I'm, I imagine that it's not that different for a lot of immigrant families, mm -hmm. or really any families being able to afford real estate in the GVA is absolutely security. Yeah, but they would, you know, they would save, save, save for everything and then put everything into the real estate. Yeah, when yeah. I was when I was growing up, that was an immigrant strategy that got used in Ladner by a lot of the Indian families as well. Mm -hmm. They would have, you know, several families would all pool their money and buy one house, mm -hmm. and pool their money until they could buy a second house. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, they were able to leverage their their incomes to be able to reduce the amount of interest they paid to buy every person, every family, individual nuclear family in that uh, mm. ex Smart. extended family their own house. Yeah, Smart. yeah, definitely. Mm hmm. Neat. So, do you want to get into talking about sexual shame? Yes. Awesome. <laughs> um, bit of a transition, but it, but but kind of not because we're still talking we're about culture. Talking about mm -hmm. money shame. Yes. We? Right. Yeah, we always say money and sex are two taboos. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, would each of you like to talk a little bit about what your current relationship is and how long you've been in that relationship? Well, we've both been in long-term relationships. I'm about to approach my 21st year anniversary. Amazing. So yeah, very- Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. So it's it's been a long time with the same man. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, for me, 
I actually met my husband when I was 13. Wow. Dated for two weeks and then broke up, got back together at mm -hmm. 16. So I think we just celebrated our 26th Valentine's Day. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, but we've been married for maybe about 15 years. So been together for a long time. Between the two of you, you've been married more years than I've been alive. <laughs> <laughs> baby. <laughs> I am. I am. I am. I am. What, what would that be called? I'm a third of the way to my, to my centennial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm turning. Wow. I need to actually do the math. Yes. I'm turning 33 in September. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting to. 30s are a great decade. They are. And 40s are even better. So yeah. this is what I keep hearing. Everyone tells me that every decade is better than the last. It is. Like yeah. very contrary to popular belief, it's like aging just brings you more experience and yeah. more confidence in what you want and how to kindly get it. Yeah, and you know what? You don't give a fuck. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> the older you are, you don't. The more you don't give. I appreciate that. Yeah, I can really I, appreciate that. And I think that. it's something you've been fighting for with your lifestyle. Yeah. But really, you don't fight for it later. You just are living it. Right. Yeah, that's a really good point. Which is a nice freedom. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me more about. Um, what you learned from your culture about your relationship style and, and specifically about sexual shame? Well, from my culture, we were taught that sex is about making love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's not for, for um, recreational purposes, but it's because you fall in love with somebody right. and that's who you have sex with. So there was never shame around sex, but it was more how you decide who, who to become intimate with. Right. So my, my experience with partners, of course, was very limited because you don't fall in love that many times. And I was married fairly young. Right. Um, but luckily, no shame around it, no shame to talk about it. And uh, there was always that, that uh, willingness to make sure that it's a pleasurable thing that you're enjoying for, for both. Mm -hmm. For me, in our culture, I think the shame is around talking about sex. It's not something that we openly do uh, with our friends or even our partners. So for the first 20 years of my relationship, I never really talked about sex or t told my husband what it was I really wanted because there was so much shame around that. It wasn't until I was in my midlife crisis, but actually, no, midlife awakening. <laughs> uh, the year I turned 40 was kind of like when I woke up and I said, well, this, you know, if it's sex going to be like this for the rest of our life, it's going to be pretty boring. So uh, that's actually when I discovered Trafel, mm -hmm. the business that Paul and I are in, mm -hmm. um, and it, which is like aphrodisiac cannabis infused truffle, uh, chocolate truffle. So we did a lot of guinea pigging during those two <laughs> years. That sounds like a euphemism. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> it was so much fun. And um, in, in the beginning, I guess when I went down that path, that journey, mm -hmm. my husband was quite threatened because mm -hmm. it was like, whoa, where did this come from? I think it was just a, there's a fear of the unknown for him. Mm -hmm. And uh, when, I, when he finally decided to join me for that journey, that was when things just really turned around for us. And we redesigned, recreated our marriage. And now I'm actually on the third marriage to the same man. I, I like the way that you frame that third marriage to the same man. What was the second marriage? The second marriage was about actually coming out of my shell 
and I see. talking about it. So there was like before your awakening, during the awakening, yeah. and then after your awakening. Yeah. Well, I'm still, I'm, I'm still awake, <laughs> constantly, you know, going down this path, being awakened every day. And I think what it is, is going from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset when mm-hmm. it comes to sex and love. Yeah. A lot of people that have been together for a long time, especially married people, they have this fixed mindset where they think sex is sex. It can't be any better. And uh, they just accept the status quo. But for us, I think we said, well, it could, it can be better, but it's up to us. And what can we do about it? So that's when we started exploring. And we were talking to um, sex therapists, uh, sexologists, researchers, researchers, reading uh, studies. Everything we could get our hands on. And everything. We, We had such a thirst for knowing to discovering what sex could be Mm -hmm. and that was when everything turned around and we we had so many other women join that conversation we started having parties like taboo parties were by no means they're not orgies (laughs) taboo for and taboo for our our sort of circle which is suburb moms you know with higher education professionals yeah yeah so that was the but it opened up so many doors for so many women. It's absolutely yeah. You know, and going back to to the question about culture, um, for for my generation, unluckily, I think this is happening less and less. But a lot of the sex that you would have focused on ensuring that the man was pleased, and right. it took a lot of the focus away from you. And you were you were an amazing person if you could get him turned on and get him fixed. It was like that that gave you all your validation. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you that being married for 20 years, having three kids, and having to follow that guideline of just standard sex where you're just taking care of your man mm-hmm. also gets pretty old. And it's not surprising <laughs> to find so many, um, so many people in sexless marriages because mm-hmm. at some point other things take priority and, and you're not wanting to engage in it. Um, or your interest really starts to go down because uh, as a woman, you're sort of putting your needs aside. And on top of that, you've got the responsibility of work and family. So mm-hmm. sex, you, I mean, there's, there was a point where I really thought I could live without sex for the rest of my life. Wow. And yeah. it wasn't until we started experimenting a little bit. And, and I just got, it was just a, a, a sudden getting hit on by some random guy that I'd never been open to. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. That woke me up. And I realized, oh, my God, I've got a sex drive. And I didn't know I had one. And, you know, for, for many husbands that are or partners that are being sexually satisfied, and I'm talking in a heterosexual relationship because that's all I know, but in sure. a heterosexual relationship where the man is being satisfied, they're not going to go seeking other ways to spice up their relationship. Um, so it is up to the women often, and especially if you've been uh, sort of cultured in, in a place where you put, had put your needs last, it's going to be up to you to go and wake that up and, and bring your, your partner along for the journey, which is sort of what Lisa and I have done. We took ownership, and I'll tell you, my husband certainly was happy about it. it he was happy to see me wake up and, and be interested again. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean they only they've only benefit from our journey. Yeah, truly. like you said, there is an intimidating <laughs> portion of it because it's change, and for for uh, 
for a partner that's been getting sexually pleased for all these years, I don't see why change is needed. Right. Right, because from their perspective, perhaps, they've always been completely yeah. satisfied with Totally it. satisfied. Vanilla's great. <laughs> Vanilla <laughs> is a great flavor. Yeah. It went from, like, it went from good to them for amazing, though. Like, yes. For my husband. Yeah. And for us, it went from chore to mind-blowing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great transition, from chore to mind-blowing. Yes. From maintenance sex to vacation sex at home is what Trafel can do for you. <laughs> yeah, Paula, when you were talking about experimenting, you were talking about experimenting with cannabis edibles and... Yes, exactly. So Figuring out that aphrodisiac blend of, of herbs that you use in Trafel, is that right? Absolutely. So as, um, as we mentioned before, both Lisa and I are entrepreneurial. We've got children, we've got family. And, and especially when the kids were young, and they still are, your mind is not in the bedroom. Your mind is in that list of things that you need to get organized. So when you go and try to be intimate, you're, 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 you've got a shopping list that you're creating while, while he's kind of <laughs> enjoying himself. So what was nice about the cannabis um, and the, the dosage that we were able to, to figure out, which is a very, it's a, it's a light dose. So that you don't feel like, oh my God, if the kids get up, I, I'm not going to be right. able to manage. I'm going to be too high. No, right. it's just a light dose. It took that edge off. And so you could actually be in the present and enjoy what was going on instead of creating shopping lists and to-do lists and mm-hmm. and uh, being overwhelmed by what you could be doing instead of what right. you are doing. <laughs> right. I'm spending all this time doing maintenance on this relationship when I could literally be vacuuming. Yes, exactly. <laughs> all of a sudden, this is good stuff. And I'm enjoying it, and I realize, right. oh, I do like sex. Yeah. This is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Human beings don't always have sexual needs, but for a large majority of us, I think we do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and it's really easy to talk ourselves out of that when we haven't been introduced to sex in a way that satisfies those needs and feeds us as individuals. Absolutely. And and for women, especially from, from our generation, like I said, it's happening less. But you, you really... We're not we're not taught as much that our sexual needs are that important, or really that they really exist. Right, half the time, especially coming from like a Judeo Christian background, I would think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Men have sexual needs. That's all you ever hear. Men's right. needs need their needs need to be satisfied, while women are okay. Mm-hmm. But no, we do have sexual needs. Of course. I mean, that sounds like, of course, to me, from my generation and from my, you know, alternative culture, it's like, well, I mean, obviously, but at the same time, it's not that obvious. It's not that obvious. And it's really, and I think it's easier for women to put it out of their heads than men. It's easy for them to get busy and put other things in priority and not realize that that still exists. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's also, it's also harder for men to not be engaged in the sexual process and to still be having sex through a traditional model. I mean, obviously, there's lots of stuff other than penis and vagina sex that couples and and groups of folks can do. Um, so, mm-hmm. well, we're just learning about that. Right. <laughs> our sex education, yeah. like the sex education we've it's had through our parties, ending. has been fascinating. I've learned yeah. all kinds of terms and positions and awesome. things I didn't know existed. I think for me, I think men. They, they love, like my husband, I've always loved sex. But when we brought in the intimacy, mm-hmm. that was when it took it to another level, mm-hmm. truly. And that was the difference between the second marriage and the third marriage. Right, was bringing us. in intimacy. Yes, bringing in the intimacy and truly being connected, being able to talk about anything mm-hmm. and feel comfortable talking about anything. And it was up to me, like taking ownership of, of that. So what the Trafel did for me was remove the inhibitions I had in my head and right. I was able to tell him what I want. Right. Whereas before it's like, I know what I want, but I it just, it can't come out. But when I'm high, 
I'm more willing to talk about it. Right. And he's more accepting. It's almost like a bridge through shame. Yeah, mm-hmm. it t- truly is. It's vulnerable. Uh, yeah, it's a vulnerability. Like, and like I'm a am I, am I going to yeah. be a perv? Am I going to be... Yeah. Is he going to... Is he going to judge gets, me for having sexual yeah. needs? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or is he, or even more for, again, another generational thing maybe, but is he going to be offended and think that I don't think he's man enough? Yeah. That's because true. I'm wow. saying, yeah. Yeah. this is how I like it. You've been doing it wrong for 20 years. Yeah. yeah how do you say that? Very <laughs> gently. <laughs> there's momentum for sure. If you've been doing something for 20 years, you're kind of committed. Yeah. Well, it's, like, it's hard to change that path. When my husband discovered OM, which is called orgasmic meditation okay it's a, it's like a form of tantra right um it's a call let's call it a clitoris massage okay <laughs> pure 15 minutes of pleasure him just focusing on you not wanting anything in return that's so interesting because i don't think of that as like meditation i think of that as like foreplay yeah no but this kind of uh yeah i don't know why they call it meditation but it's it like dedicated orgasmic massage that's really what it is but right. for him to discover you know how much sensation the clit has and just to be able to be gentle slow down be gentle i think that's the message that all men need to hear mm-hmm. it, it really depends on the woman's body in my opinion oh, oh no, no. I, no 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 uh, we've talked to therapists yes. sure sure no I'm one can about, be gentle enough at I'm the beginning talking about cunnilingus specifically though that it depends on the woman's body Oh, no, no, we're not talking about that. We're talking about fi- it's You're finger. talking about fingers, so digital. digital. Sorry, what, yeah, finger digital, like of yeah. digits of your fingers. Yeah, yeah. it's just, or, or manual. Is, is performed using just a finger. Got you. And 15 minutes of je- super gentle, super slow. Just focus. Okay. The nerves, the nerves on a woman's clit and vagina yeah. are so sensitive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's, I don't, there's so many there. Yeah. That a gentle touch goes up. So, much farther than a than a so many men hard don't touch. realize that a hard touch is is has half the power yeah one tenth the power exactly they never go like if they they say if you think you're going slow slow it down ten times That's, okay yeah it's it's amazing how once he learned that our sex just went from like good to amazing and that was the third marriage is when he is more willing to be open and have a growth mindset and let go of that ego that I'm not good enough. No, I could be better. Hmm. So it's like he went from the bad boyfriend to the <laughs> amazing lover. In, awesome. Uh, just from learning that. I will I will take that into very serious consideration. I've never considered, um, like digital massage has never been my preference anyway. Like I would much, 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 much rather kind of lingus over like, mm-hmm. um, like massaging someone's clit just because... Yeah one you have the lubrication you need to be a little rougher and mm-hmm. with the soft surfaces on the tongue there's enough texture for stimulation but there's also um a lot of cushion and a lot of because like it's the friction in my live in my experience mm-hmm. of clits which is probably considerably less than yours having them <laughs> uh, but but in my experience um with the bodily responses that i see in some of the partners that i is is service the wrong term um <laughs> But in some, in some of the partners Can I that please? I please, sure, or that I engage with or interact with, yeah, um, I, I tend to I tend to think that like wet surfaces work a lot better than dry surfaces. Well, oh no, but the OM, the there's a special kind of um, 
lubricate lubricator that sure. is used for that. Sure. So it's just and not saying one is better than the other. Sure, sure. But I'm just saying that's a good practice for men to learn how to slow down. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I yeah. agree with that. And it's also and a good practice for women to be able to be a taker. Yes. To be able to lay and enjoy it guilt free. Mm -hmm. Totally. Mm -hmm. Not having to give anything in return. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. and I know both men and women have it, but uh, you know, I would think that maybe it's a little bit stronger for women where yeah. there's this tit for tat in the bedroom where, okay, I do it for five minutes, now you do it for five minutes. Yeah. Now you do it, now I do it. And to just be able to lay and just be the receiver mm -hmm. is so special for both genders. It's really special. It's a, it's a great practice. I, I think that message needs to get out to more men. And I think it is getting out because now I'm reading the book for our work week by Tim Ferriss, which is hugely popular author. And he has a whole so chapter mainstream. on that, on that exact thing. He calls on it sex? a 15 minute orgasm. Really? No, it's, it's the digital massage for, oh, of okay. a clit for the woman. He said, just focus on that micro three millimeters. And he teaches men how to do that in his book. And this is a Mainstream following. Mainstream book. Cool. So the message is getting out there. I'm so happy to. to That's hear. awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I suppose how to give a hand job is like <laughs> yeah. something they don't teach you in school. Yeah. <laughs> well, and we don't know either. You yeah. can't do it to yourself. Yeah. Wait, what do you mean? Well, that that, that OM you can't. Well, yeah, it's different. You could, but it well, just, it's like the, massaging the yourself. Different. Yeah. If you yeah, massage your shoulders, it isn't. I, I massage my own shoulders. But is it better? <laughs> is it as good as when someone else massages your shoulders? I do. It's a I different do. feeling, it right? Is, it is a different feeling. Because like, you know what's happening, and it's your <clears throat> nerves at the end of your fingers against mm -hmm. the nerves on 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 your shoulders. Mm -hmm. Oh, but you know, full disclosure: when I got that massage, massage, mm -hmm. I did have two trafal, so it did increase intensity by three times. <laughs> got you. Got you. <laughs> Hmm. Now you just got me thinking about various various hand job techniques. So I'm like off in my own world, being like, hmm, I wonder how this would work. I wonder how that would work. Have you used <laughs> pearls before? Fake pearls for I a hand for a hand job? Used oh, fake wrap pearls. those around the you're, penny and roll them around. You're sorry, you're talking about wrapping them around the shaft of a cock? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Fake pearls for a hand job. It's got it. <laughs> and let some dingle around to just tickle the inner leg. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, the scrotum should not be neglected. Uh, yes. That is absolutely true. Well, because it's the same flesh as essentially um, the outer vulva, right? So do that very gently and you'll get an idea of what women are enjoying. Mm -hmm. Do mm -hmm. it as gently as possible or have someone do it to you as gently as possible in the scrotum. Mm -hmm. And it'll be a very unique experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've, I've definitely had scrotal stimulation before. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, like I try and... I. And so weird that this became such a personally focused conversation all of a sudden, but uh, <laughs> but absolutely, I try and like obviously spread sensation around over the whole vulva and like take my time and like those are those are definitely important things that I would say yeah. people do need to hear. And, I'm jealous of your generation. Right? Yeah, you, they, it seems like you guys have better sex. We learn so much from, so from young people. Yeah, you guys are so much more open to talk about sex, experiment with sex. Yeah, I know. I'm jealous of that. Yeah, they say that millennials are also bringing marriage back. Oh, really? Yeah, the divorce rates in millennials are lower, which is either because they haven't had as long <laughs> or um, or because people are waiting longer to get married. Yeah. They're having more sex with different partners, finding someone that, that they click with better sexually. Yeah. Well, or maybe they're becoming more realistic That's about what marriage is and that one person can't be everything. Yeah. yeah. yeah the Hollywood yeah. image of love maybe is, is being debunked finally. That yeah. marriage, I mean, there is love, but there's a lot more to it. 
yeah, yeah. it's complicated and we definitely mm-hmm. show kids a very reductive view of love mm-hmm. like telling telling teenagers that they will have one true love and that yeah. um what is it um hotel transylvania that movie is like <laughs> you only zing once in your life I'm like, that's a terrible message. Like, send that to to 13 and 14-year-olds who then go out and have a relationship. And because they're experiencing insincere, intense attraction, a desire for intimacy and vulnerability, they assume this is my one and only shot at love in my life. That's horrible. It's a terrible trap to set them up for. And then, you know, and it turns out, oh, we're both 14 after all, and we don't have all of the emotional maturity and brain development of, like, full-grown adults. All of a sudden, it becomes very hard to maintain a relationship and have healthy communication. And and then you, you get down on it. Yeah. You become cynical about it. Mm-hmm. When, yes. when we should have just learned the reality. Love evolves. Love changes. The love that you have when you get a zing is very different than the love that you have when you get married, when you have children, when Absolutely. you get sick, when there's bills, or when you go on vacation, even. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, the love you ha- I have now with my husband when we're on holidays is very different than our Monday to Friday love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they say getting out of your routine really, like, excites the passions, as mm-hmm. it were. It is one of the reasons that people have casual sex on vacation as often as they do versus casual sex when they're yes. at home. Yeah, like we, in their home we, we sometimes say the cannabis is like vacation sex at home. It is. <laughs> True. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. I'm interested to talk about eye contact and the notion of being seen having sex and being seen and witnessed enjoying yourself and sharing your sexual desires. Oh my God. (laughs) Do you mean like actually being like an exhibitionist? No, I I don't mean the gaze of other people. I mean, just with your partner making intimate eye contact while you're having sex versus being able to look over someone's shoulder and sort of be like, yeah, we're both here. Yeah, he, you know, we know that we're doing this with each other. But are you looking into this person's eyes, bearing conscious witness? Okay, we've witness? got some cultural differences Definitely. here. I can see the discomfort in you, Lisa. I can see the squirming in your chair. Yeah, yeah that is, it's always been hard for me. I Definitely a cultural thing. Um, I don't know if you guys ever watch Japanese porn. I have the, I have seen it like, like very I'm, submissive Japanese porn where like, making very high pitched noises. Yeah, but women, like women are not supposed to be seen enjoying themselves. Right. They they look away. They look ashamed almost. Right. right. When yeah, when during sex and it's, uh, al- it's almost the fetishization of shame. Yeah. Which I think done in a consensual framework is hot. Yeah, yeah. it exists. But if it's conditioned into everybody, there's going to be some percentage that would really prefer not to. Yeah. Yeah. I I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. This this is good timing because I just had the most amazing sex over the weekend. Trafalled sex, I call it. Sure, sure. That is truly eye-gazing. And that was probably one of the first first times I've ever tried it. But where it came from, I think, the insecurity around eye contact for me. Because my husband have no... He said he loves looking at me, but it's the other way around, is that there's a lot of shame looking back at him. I think, right. And I think it came from one small incident back, when, probably when we were teenagers. <laughs> and I would look. At, I looked at him, and he looked at me and said, what are you looking at? And that one time he said that it caused 20 years of me not looking at him. Wow. And plus all the 
the, the cultural the cultural baggage, baggage to support it. To it was support it was like a hook that kind of pulled yeah. all that into your relationship. Yeah. Maybe. yeah, and I I confronted him on the weekend and said, you know, you said that to me, and he's like, I don't even remember ever saying that. <laughs> it's like twenty five years yeah. ago. <laughs> Exactly, but when I let that go with the help of cannabis, oh my god, yeah, that intensity, that intimacy when That's you have eye say. contact with each other is yeah. mind blowing. Mm-hmm. And I can't believe I waited so long. Which is why you've moved into the intimacy, yeah, phase of your marriage. Yeah, as you were explaining. That's... Yeah, yeah. No eye contact, no issue for me. But definitely, it's it depends on the kind of sex we're having. So intimate sex is eye contact, playful sex, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Tell me more about playful sex in the context of making eye contact. Well, it's 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 more um, it's sillier. We're playing around. It's not about connecting our souls and right. being one and being, you know, this almighty love. <laughs> so that's a little different but it's, um, versus when we're being intimate, which we probably did more in our early relationship and we'll do now in, in uh, you know, some occasions. But being in eye contact is full on intimacy. That is getting close and, and trying to almost talk through your, through your eyeballs. Yeah. <laughs> There's deep communication there. You kind of, it's really hard not to bring your whole self to the conversation of sex when you're looking into each other's eyes, in my opinion. Exactly. Yeah. I think it's it's so fascinating how for some it is this really intense, impactful experience of being witnessed and specifically of acknowledging being witnessed. Like if someone's looking at you, you can ignore that they're witnessing you, but if you're looking right back at them, you have to acknowledge that they are seeing you while you are getting fucked or while you are fucking or et cetera. Well, actually, when you were just saying that, I thought about even conversations. Like in the Chinese culture, eye contact is not a big thing. Like especially when you're talking about something really serious, Mm -hmm. you tend not to have that kind of eye contact. Uh, Eye contact is very... Um, in your face, North America, uh, Western, yeah. like culture, yeah. where Asian culture, it's, it's a big no-no when you're talking about real stuff. Yeah. So I can just imagine. The Western culture is about trust. Right? Mm-hmm. If you're not giving eye contact, you're distrustful. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Whereas I guess it can be seen as a challenge or disrespectful. In Asian. In, in other cultures, yeah. Some other yeah. cultures. Yeah. Gosh. Interesting. (laughs) Well, I think we tackled eye contact. Let's talk about how shame impacts, um, or how how shame impacts the way we react to making noise or thinking about how we smell or how we taste during sex. (laughs) How how does noise, smell, and taste interact with shame? One of the events that we hosted, I learned something interesting about myself. Um, So... uh, we, we've, we've, with the researcher, we've learned a lot about the different sex types. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. shamely, I'm an attractor, as in I get lit up by feeling totally good and amazing about myself. Sure. And if I feel like I look hot, I am like all over it. I'm, I'm ready to go. <laughs> but when you're having an orgasm, you can't quite control how you look. Yep. And I realize a, a lot of us actually 
work really hard to look hot when we're having an orgasm when we should really be just letting go having, yeah having an orgasm yeah yeah so but you know you know you don't want that contorted face and <laughs> weird uh but not everybody felt that way other women they're not they're, they they fit into different uh, quadrants of the type of uh sex type they are mm-hmm. and there were a lot of women were like what that never even occurred to me but for a lot of women it's a big deal it's a big deal of how they appear in the middle of an orgasm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think I read an article somewhere that men actually love that look, that orgasm face. That I'm sure I they mean, do. I mean, some men certainly some, do. Yeah. I think it, it really depends on um, which men and which face. But I, <laughs> <laughs> Could you demo some faces for uh, us right now? <laughs> I so I, I would just to entertain you, but I'm going to take the out that it wouldn't be visible over the podcast. So. <laughs> It would be unfair to the audience. I'd be doing them a great injustice. <laughs> okay, maybe after the podcast. Maybe maybe after the podcast. I think um, I think different orgasmic faces too will probably map to different men. Like it's altogether possible that mm. just people in general will enjoy one orgasm face over another. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, it might even just link back to that one time when they were fifteen. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like it could literally be like a first or 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 seventeen or however old they were, twenty five, whatever. <laughs> um, but like the the first time when a person saw an orgasm face, they might think like this is this is what I'm looking for. Right, an imprint. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. They've done um, studies but... with rats around fetishes, and if a colored cube is present when they orgasm the first time, like the the time it takes them to get to orgasm, if the cube's present versus not. Um, is apparently less. Um, so interesting. There's like you, a lot of. Sorry, go ahead. You know what? Um, going back to culture and eye contact, mm-hmm. I think uh, um, when you're talking about being vulnerable by creating eye contact, how it creates such a vulnerability when you're looking at each other. I think the orgasm face is very similar. It it means you're letting go of your control, and it's a very vulnerable place. Mm-hmm. Because for okay. the most part, I'm a, I am I, my personality is fairly controlled, and I like. To, that's why I, I love microdosing mm-hmm. because it lets me take the edge off but I'm still in control when I drink I don't get drunk um, and letting go in an orgasm where I just lose control it is a very 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 vulnerable thing to do mm-hmm. yeah that's totally fair I agree yeah so in terms of I'm curious so we've talked about orgasm faces um, and I assume that's a way of talking about noise talking about the noise that folks make during sex yeah Mm -hmm. they go hand in hand to make monkey noises yeah (laughs) monkey noises i've never heard it described as i don't know moans or whatever it may be it's unless you're in the mood and in the moment it's not the sexiest sound in the world right well you definitely gave me the image of like an angry spider monkey like (laughs) like screeching is that one of the faces you were talking about i mean (laughs) no but but that was the visual I got when you said monkey noises. Cause <laughs> I didn't. I wasn't really thinking sex. I was like, that's a pretty far departure from the noises I'm used to during sex. <laughs> yeah, me too, Paul. I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, but I think do women tend to make a, like a lot more noises than men, right? I think or it depends. Depends. But I mean, I was definitely socialized not to make any noise during sex. Like, like, don't interrupt the miracle you're trying to craft or help craft. <laughs> so it's a control thing, right? Yeah. For me, it was. For me, it was a control thing. For me, it was also not being seen or heard. It was about um, there is 
like I felt pretty intense arousal and a pretty intense desire to have sex and also a pretty intense shame about that not wanting to make noise not wanting to be secret where did that not wanting to make noise come from I think it came from oh Jesus this is going to be embarrassing I think it came from having one computer in the household when I was growing up and having it be the only place I could go to look at porn So having it be like, I need to not make any noise and mm. and sort of manage who's mm. home when I go to masturbate and mm. and be very certain they're engaged in an activity. Fortunately, I, I've never been walked in on. Mm-hmm. That you know of. That I know of. That I know of. <laughs> That's a terrifying thought. Um, but uh, yeah, I did have like one or two experiences of like, you know, the the computer room was fortunately like a strong room it was like the the middle room in the house so literally there was a hallway leading up to the computer room so you could hear footsteps coming and then you could have you know an insane bout of panic as you scramble to quickly put your genitals back into your clothing i bet you develop some edginess out of that (laughs) (laughs) some arousal around edginess (laughs) quite possibly quite possibly yeah so i think silence um Silence kind of comes from that, from sort of feeling a lot of like, sex is something we do quietly in private. Mm-hmm. Sex is not. So no something. one knows. Yeah, and I didn't have a lot of experiences with early partnerships. I lost my virginity when I was seventeen, so it was That's average. Yeah, pretty average. Um, probably, um, but like, I didn't even have any like pre-virginity experiences, so I didn't even have any like, hand job, blow job, mm-hmm. you know, tit job, any of those kinds of things. Um, Just or f- right for it. Or for that matter, play with men either. I didn't do any of that when I was mm-hmm. younger. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not true. I did when I was like pre-sexual, but because I was like pre-sexual, a lot of the play with other boys was like not leading to orgasm, which doesn't make it non-sexual. It just right. But didn't. it was curious play. It was yeah. It was curious play, expl- explorative. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was fun. Looking back, I'm like I kind of wish I'd done more of it then. I think it would have yeah. been. I think it would have been interesting to have more play with boys as I aged, but there was so much homophobia when I was growing up mm-hmm. that as a queer man, like I had, I, I think play with other boys stopped around 10 years old. Mm. So I would have had like playful naked experiences with other boys before then that were my own age. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, once I was, once I was in my like early teens. You just didn't go there. As soon as sex became a thing that was on boys' minds, homophobia became a thing that was on boys' minds as well. Mm-hmm. And there was this really intense shame and really intense mm-hmm. fear around even having it be suspected that you had homophobic thoughts. It was that intense. Mm. Like, wow. l- literally to the point where, like, yeah, like, people would would call you slurs um, as a way of putting you down, but also... Um, people would ask you what kind of porn you watched. And, like, if you ever revealed that a man was present in the porn you were watching, even if that man was having sex with a woman, it was gay porn. It was, it oh, was, really? there was that much fear of homophobia. You couldn't even look at other penises. It was, like, that intense. Wow. Yeah, I didn't realize that until I showed one of my friends some of my porn, and literally a male actor came on the screen, by which I mean entered frame. <laughs> and, uh,. <laughs> As opposed to came on the yes, screen. Um, and... <laughs> you were slow. <laughs> That's okay. Lisa got there in the end. Um, but but a male actor entered frame and literally he started screaming, ah, a penis, and brought both of his hands up to shield his eyes from the penis that was on screen. Like, that's how intense homophobia was when I was growing up. Wow. Yeah. 
I mean, we didn't have porn really when I was growing up, but wow. Yeah, I was going to say, you're lucky you had a computer, right? Yeah, that's that's right. generation with Playboy books or whatever. Yeah, right. you have to buy, find the, the Playgirl play, or Playboy books. Yeah. So I had, the that, bushes. I had that experience as well, where someone had found um, like a Playboy under, you know, his father's mattress kind yeah. of thing and had stolen it, of course. That's what we got. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, we all got on our bicycles and rode off to some public park somewhere and all shamefully looked at this Playboy oh, together. And like flip through the pages, and we're equally mystified and confused as to what the fuck was going on, because we had no <laughs> sexual education. But you're right. All that early porn didn't have males in it. Right. A I lot never of it, thought of that. They were pictures of ladies. Typically, yeah, yeah, yeah. it wasn't ever hardcore. It was all softcore. Yeah, and so, ladies, not right. not a woman and a man together. That's right. Yeah, as as a general rule, that that was the case. Yeah. I never thought of that. Yeah, there's very little sexual objectification of men. I mean, more these days. Certainly more these days. Oh yeah. And I think. There is a period where men, and probably still are, but we're very hungry for sexual objectification. Mm. It's 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 interesting how like being without sexual objectification, especially if you're, if you're a person that has a fetish for that or really enjoys being sexually objectified, how hard it is to get access to that. Mm. Oh, really? Yeah, for men to be sexually objectified is, I mean, because we're also I'm I'm speaking again from the reference point of a 30, 32, 33 year old, so we're we're letting ourselves be sexually. Uh, and for the record, we should say how old we are. F- 40, 48. 42. Turning 43. Yeah. And I just turned 48. Yeah. <laughs> it is, a, but it is a whole generation difference yeah. b- between us. But and we're you. doing, uh, we're objectifying ourselves this weekend. We're doing the luminous dancing in our lingerie. And that can be quite fun. Like, it's empowering to it's take control of There's over 200 women doing this. It's Amazing. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's the same with burlesque as well. It is burlesque. It is oh, it is burlesque. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's, yeah, a form of... We don't strip or anything, but it's dancing in heels in yeah. a very provocative way. Yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with stripping. <laughs> no, but... But it's We're not there yet. <laughs> Give me some time. 70. I, just, I just got to eye gazing. Give me some time. But even my, my mom in her seventies wants to do the, the. She wants to she herself. She wants to go dance it. in her she lingerie. She should absolutely yeah. come out. Like that's the kind of thing that I think burlesque does really well. Is like a sexual appreciation and acknowledgement of so yeah. many different kinds of folks. It's acknowledging that there are different kinds of bodies, there are different ages, different genders, and that all these people can be sexual and accepted. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I'm a huge fan of burlesque. Yeah. Well, come see our show. We should come see our show. <laughs> Three nights. I suppose I could come see your show. That's a thing I could do. I think the tickets are sold out. Maybe next term. Maybe, yes, yeah. maybe next show. Yeah. I would, I would, um, I would need to find someone to go with me. Typically, typically I, I'm, I don't know why, but I tend to struggle to get out to burlesque events. I don't know that it's shame. It might be... You should become a dancer. You'd be the first male dancer, I think. I don't think I don't that's true that. at all. There are definitely tons of boylesque no, folks. No, in this... Uh, in our group. In, in the program. In the program. Oh, okay, because I was just going to say, like, even, like, a couple weeks ago at ConvergeCon, one of the other presenters, Jet Noir, does boylesque. Oh, boylesque. Yeah. Boylesque. I mean, it's still burlesque, but some folks like yeah. to call it boylesque. That's cute. But mm-hmm. but you should see his, his burlesque pics. Like, he looks great. Really? Yeah. So there's a fantastic scene, I think. There definitely are fewer um, assigned male-at-birth dancers. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. 
And there's, of course, the Drag King show. If you're just interested in just, like, mask-presenting folks, you can go up to, like, um, or you can go out to a Man Up event, if you've ever heard of Man yeah, Up. Yeah, my husband goes to those. Loves them. Yeah. But man Up? That's oh. different from uh, man, talk. man Talks. Right. What is a Man Up event? Oh, so Man Up is, <laughs> hilariously, um, one of the organizers used to go to elementary school with me. Um, they go by Pony Boy in the Scene. That's their Drag King name. And drag king, if you can think of what a drag queen is, drag king is essentially usually an assigned female at birth person presenting in a masculine fashion. Mm. So you'll often get drawn on mustaches. They're, I find there are themes of drinking a beer, like all the sort of things you associate with being like a typical everyday guy. But it's, Women do it? Yeah. Um, people, I mean, perhaps women, perhaps not women, but typically people who are assigned female at birth, typically. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. I'm always curious. <laughs> yeah, you should absolutely check it out. It's not super expensive, and uh, they're pretty regular. But the cool. drag king scene in Vancouver is actually like pretty awesome. I think some really? of the like some of the performers are incredible. So. And they they'll identify with either gender. Um, yeah, I think it really depends. Gender performance is really complicated because if someone like genitals can look different, right? Um, they can look different even among genitals that most people in our society would call female or male genitals. You can look right. at genitals and there'll be different shapes and sizes. And then you have all of the intersex folks in between that have genitals that are some mix of male presenting genitals, as it were, um, or right. female presenting. And, and again, I say presenting because I want to try and acknowledge that there's interpretation involved in looking at genitals and deciding what they are. Yeah, so typically the, the phrasing that I've heard used is assigned female at birth or assigned male at birth. And that'll and it's just be XXXY. Not necessarily, no? because you can have androgen insensitivity, so you can have someone who's XY, but the androgens they produce, their body's insensitive to, so they become a, a yeah, an innie. They have a vulva and a vagina, yeah. um, but they may also have testicles. Yeah. Um, or they may have um, testicles that never descended. Like There, there are so many different ways. Or that they descend up at puberty. Um, the, I, possibly. No, they are something they... Where literally testicles um, descend to puberty? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Not not as much anymore. There was a medication that was being given to mothers, I think, 45 years ago. Mm -hmm. And they were having girls that turned into boys at puberty. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you're touching on something really neat. The notion of girl or woman or boy or man is a gendered idea. It has more to do with the identity we hold yeah. of who we are and the presentation we make of our gender in the clothes we wear, the makeup we choose to wear, um, how high pitch our voice is, our mannerisms. Do you hold a bag against your chest? Do you carry a bag by your side? So our behaviors as well are highly gendered. Um, so we have all this split for gender. And some of that might relate on some level to something genital-based, but typically it's very artificial and contrived, at least mm -hmm. in, my, in my opinion and understanding. Mm -hmm. So it, you'd think it would be XX and XY for genitals that we assign male and female, but it's, it's not that simple because you'll get folks that are, say, Kleinfelters that are XXY, and they might have a micropenis, and they might have... You know, like, genitals can just look really different. So then the question is, like, how are people deciding that babies should be male or female, and they're doing all these non-consensual operations on babies to convert their sexual organs to being more male-appearing or more female-appearing. It'll be wonderful when we have no labels and we just are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and labels can be helpful as well. Well, we need them right now, absolutely, yeah. as we go through transitions of acceptance and understanding. Yeah, yeah. But 
Just like we don't need to put what race we are on forms anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hopefully we'll eradicate all this eventually, maybe in a few generations. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it would be it would be lovely if we could get to a society where, say, colorblindness would work. But I think as it stands right now, it just leads to very privileged middle class folks, especially white folks, being able to say, I don't see color, therefore I don't have to deal with the racism you're exactly. experiencing. No, it's necessary right now. Yeah, I think so too. Um, yeah, so so it doesn't relate to XXXY. Um, but, uh, you know, you have, um, they're called AMAB and AFAB individuals, assigned male at birth, assigned female at birth. Um, oh. And then you have, quote unquote, intersexy individuals that are in between. And then you kind of bring gender identity into that. And that's sort of if a person feels like they identify more with the types of behaviors and presentations of what we determine is feminine in society or what we determine is masculine or both. Right. Or neither. And there's, there's, I don't think it's as contentious anymore, but it used to be very contentious whether both or neither was the same thing. Yes. But I think the, there, there may not be a consensus, but my opinion is they're not the same thing. Like, for example, when I wear lipstick, I'll wear a beard and lipstick, and that would be presenting elements of masculine and feminine gender over top of my assigned male at birth genitals. So I would be sexually a male, and I would be some kind of other gender, some degree of both. So I typically identify that as being genderqueer or some form of non-binary. How do your parents accept when you wear lipstick and beard? Uh, they ask me why I'm doing it. Do they think it's attention-seeking? Oh, interesting. So I haven't... They probably do, but they've never said as much. Yeah. They've never said that it's attention-seeking, but they consistently... Just like, why are you doing that? Like, they can't quite come to an understanding, but they've never said anything that was, like, willfully mean, which is really nice. That is nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They've said things that That's were hurtful, pretty big. That's but they've big. never intentionally said things that were willfully mean, and I really appreciate that. Yeah. Silver linings. Yeah. And for oh, the that's, most... That's very big of them, actually. Considering especially that my, my dad is, you know, British. Both his parents were British. Um, although on his side of the family, we're like fourth... Gen I'm a fourth generation Vancouverite on his side of the family. Oh, wow. Like literally he and his father were both born in Vancouver. That's mm. rare. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And on my mom's side, I'm, I'm second generation because she was an immigrant from India. So it was really neat to sort of see what the immigrant experience was like. Well, they were already progressive then. Intercultural yes. marriage. Yes, I don't think it was background. intentional. <laughs> I think it was definitely from an accidental pregnancy. However, <laughs> however, this is what you get when you have like girl from India, um, and the, all the family planning education that goes with being a girl from India. You know, that was coming into her sexual awakening in like the seventies. <laughs> and then you have, you know, man from really staunchly Roman Catholic family where parents didn't even try to give them information and he went to right. a Catholic school. How much education is he going to have on safer yeah. sex? Like, very little. And, you know, you put these two things together in the 70s and you get accidental pregnancy, which is, like, not anyone's fault and not even a bad thing. If it weren't for that, my, my brother and sister and myself wouldn't even be here. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. True enough. So I'm like, wow, it really sucked for the two of them. They're but, lucky I mean, they were allowed to be together. Well, I mean, allowed is, allowed is a strong word. I mean, we were pretty much, I don't want to say excommunicated, but there's, there's a lot of disapproval on the Indian side, especially. And when my mom got here, the kinds of racism that she experienced or reported experiencing from my white grandmother was quite a lot. I mean, that relationship for the for a Roman Catholic British mother. Or, and, and that's so fascinating because you would think that someone British would be Protestant, but living in Canada, they're Roman Catholic. Mm, so... Yes, they weren't Anglican. They were very Roman Catholic, which... 
That is bizarre. But yeah. your parents were obviously still out there for yes. their time. Like the fact so that they even So you got considered... some of that influence and Yeah. And it also made for a really weird environment at home, right? Like having those two disparate cultures constantly clashing over parenting styles, mm. constantly clashing over um, even over religion and culture, because in India, religion and culture are so tied together. They're just like interwoven in a way that's that's challenging to extricate. And and I suppose some of that's true a little bit for my white side as well. Like Christmas is a Christian holiday. And yet, even though we were very secular growing up because my parents agreed not to bring religion onto their kids unless their kids wanted it, um, we'd followed a lot of Roman Catholic traditions and a lot of Indian traditions were kind of eschewed. Like my father was very mindful that we didn't necessarily learn an Indian language, etc. Mm. It was like we did a lot of um, we did a lot of playing white. We did a lot of pursuing um, that ideal of not presenting as foreign so as not to be disadvantaged. Oh, you were whitenized. Yeah, like whitewashed is sometimes what it's called. Yeah, and it's it's very sad to me looking back. I went and got six months to live in India, which was which was great, and I did get to learn to read Tamil, which was really good, and I did learn about my Dravidian roots because the type of Tamil that I that I am, and possibly this is this is most Tamilians, is um, Dravidian, which is to say the indigenous peoples of South India, mm-hmm. as opposed to the Indus Valley civilization, which was more North India. North, yeah. So. It's it's interesting. That's There's still a north-south cultural divide. Oh yeah, yeah. That's... Are your parents still together? No, they're divorced. Okay. Which which my mom would be crestfallen to know I was talking about in such a public way. Oh, okay, I hope she doesn't listen to your podcast. <laughs> I don't think she does. Like I think if she worked out, and and I mean this with love, but like just Wi-Fi on her phone. Like if she got that down pat, I'd be proud of her. <laughs> And I am proud of her. She's she's worked really hard to sort of try and adopt more technology. Yeah. And by worked really hard, I mean she's considered it at all. <laughs> well, be careful what you ask for, because when she gets that Wi-Fi, she may be listening to your podcast. Yes, or like following me on Facebook, and I'll have to start like adding her to like the people I don't publish to. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'll just like I'll just throw one one publication out like every couple weeks, just so that she knows I'm still kicking, and then. <laughs> Otherwise, my daily stuff will have to go to everyone except mom, because there are some things that she probably doesn't want to know about my life. Definitely. I've done something similar with Trafel. Yeah, just like being cautious not to publish things to your kids. With my kids, I'm okay. I talk to them about it, but awesome. I've got some, some uh, family, family. That, that just wouldn't, they're, they're just not ready. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I can respect that. I think sometimes we forget, like, even amidst all the shame in our society here in Canada, like how progressive it is in some ways and like how much freedom there is in some ways to be really open and really expressive, even just to openly say like, you know, I have gay sex or anything like that or queer sex or whatever. Like with the new administration in India that's much more conservative, it's now illegal to have Mm. gay sex in India, which is really disturbing. Oh, wow. Yeah, but we have drifted quite considerably off topic. (laughs) Yes, that's right. (laughs) Um, But I, I think culture is really important to talk about. I think it says a lot about cultural shame and, and just understanding how diverse and different our various cultural backgrounds are because all three of us have similarities and differences from like really different cultures. Um, and, and I'm not I'm not actually sure are, are both of you, are either of you um, like first generation or did you have parents that were first generation? Pretty much first generation. Yeah. Got you. We're both yeah. first generation. We both came, you came at age five? Two. 
to wow. when I came at age seven. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's such a neat experience because it's, it's, it's almost straddling that line. It is technically first generation, but yeah. you also had your childhoods here. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So blessed. Yeah, we. Yeah, yeah. Now pretty. We're pretty much settled in Vancouver as far as mm -hmm. a huge chunk of our identities. But technically, my sister and brother are both first generation in that regard, um, because they were both born in India, ah. whereas I was born in Richmond General. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But mm. it. You know what? It. 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 I think what counts more so than, again, the label of first yes, or second generation, yes. is how influenced you are by your past cultures and current culture. Right, I agree. And, uh, I mean, we, we both are pretty strongly influenced by the cultures we came from. Mm -hmm. yep. I still speak Mandarin and Cantonese yeah. and can read and write. So. And That's Spanish awesome. for yeah. myself, and that was, uh, the culture was very much preserved in growing up. Um, but I didn't grow up in a, in a community that had a lot of people from Latin America, so... My friends, mm -hmm. both of them are very Western. So it's amazing that you, you were able to ma maintain your culture and your language. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and useful languages too. Mm -hmm. Like Spanish is, I think, this is it the second most spoken language in the world? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and Mandarin's obviously, and Cantonese, super useful languages. Mm -hmm. Great, well we are, we are definitely getting off topic from shame. We, I just kind of want to finish up talking about smell and taste because okay. those were things we didn't touch on, and I'm curious how you feel about shame in regards to smell oh, and taste. Interesting. We were just having a conversation about smell. Yeah, f mm -hmm. when we were attraction of, of uh, pheromones. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, yeah but, it's, but, but we haven't done a lot of research on that, no, so we probably I, don't have a lot to share. Yeah. But you're talking about like somebody smelling your genitals? Yeah, yeah like your or even armpits. Like just like bodily armpits. various bodily smells. So for our female and <laughs> You look so confused, Lisa. <laughs> I mean the female smell Is that supposed changes, to be right? Yeah. As the smelling someone's armpit? It, it certainly can be, yeah. Really? It's yeah. the pheromones again, Lisa. There's a really interesting um, point to be made it's about offspring compatibility, like uh -huh. how compatible you are for making offspring with healthy immune systems. Because typically, if you're, they're called MHCs, your major histocompatibility complices. But if those proteins are really different, then the offspring you make will be immune to a wider array of diseases no and have way. like better, yeah, will have better immunity. That's the pheromones we were talking well, about. Well, that, uh, sorry, I'm thinking armpit as in BO, and that's not. Well, like if someone has showered since working out and used soap, not even scented soap, unscented soap, and over the next two to four hours, they just walk around the house and have a normal, say, healthy human amount smell. of like human smell. They just smell like a human that isn't particularly dirty, that isn't like fresh from a chase or like, you know, exhausted or hasn't just worked out because those things can change smell. And some people really like those smells. There's definitely, mm. um, there's definitely something to be said for the trope of the girl that loves being in a boy's locker room. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Her face. Sorry, I've got a big thing about yeah, I, I guess I'm obviously not one of those girls. That's totally <laughs> fair. Yeah, I've got a big thing around BO. And I'm I'm really sensitive to it. Like, I'm really sensitive to smell, and there will be some folks where, like, I smell their smell, and I'm like, yeah, I could cuddle with this person for hours, and, like, their natural body odor does not bother me in the least. And mm -hmm. then there'll be other people where I'll be like, wow, we must be, like, distant cousins, because, like, that person smells not so great to me. Mm. Interesting. They are not to my taste slash smell. There are yeah. some natural smells that are very, very appealing. 
And yeah. then there are some other natural smells that are not. Yeah. Absolutely. They say for family especially, they just smell disgusting. And that's important because it's an incest prevention mechanism. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the you're not going to make a good... Not going to make healthy babies. No. Mm, okay. But, um, and then the other is... You're talking about genital smell, so if there's oral sex, if there's a discomfort around that? Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk. <laughs> no, that no, wasn't where you were going? That's a natural place for that to go, absolutely. Yeah. Let's talk about oral sex, sure. Yeah, well, I think the, the definitely the scent changes uh, with a woman's cycle. Definitely, yeah. And there are times where I'm definitely not comfortable with the scent that's going on down there. <laughs> sure. Mm-hmm. And there's obviously going to be, like, antibiotics definitely affect oral sex. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, you've got... I think it's the elimination of antibiotics, um, or just, like, antibiotics just getting out to your tissues. But, like, I find that, like, yeah, if a woman's taking medication or antibiotics, it'll... Some some medications, and especially antibiotics, will absolutely change what oral sex tastes like to me. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I think that the biggest one that I've been trying to work on is um, around oral sex isn't as much the smell as it is being concerned that that, uh, he's getting bored. (laughs) Interesting. Yeah, that it's just taking too long and it's starting to get boring. <laughs> and wow. I better hurry up. Wow. So there's like there's there's again that that reticence to to take like you're hesitating and you're you're anxious almost about taking too much. Yeah. yeah. But you know, someone being bored for five or ten minutes is not very much to ask. Like what they're <laughs> what they're trading for isn't no, and really I'm also that worried, much. Is their tongue getting tired? Is the <laughs> I start to worry about a lot of stuff. I might be That's wrong. why I need that little bit of cannabis to just, like, stop thinking so much. Right, right, right. I was going to say, like, I might be wrong, but you might be thinking about the wrong things. Yeah. <laughs> not that there are right or wrong things. I It's not that there are right or wrong things, but you, you know, may not be thinking about the things that get you it's off. It's all a practice, and it's it comes from recognizing it and then pract- like realizing how ridiculous some of your thoughts are during intimate encounters and then addressing it. So, yeah, I didn't know when, when I was younger that that was going through my head. I just thought, okay, let's move on to something else. I didn't realize, oh, I'm actually worried that this person is getting bored and it's taking too long. So first step is understanding what's going on and then trying to figure out how you get those silly thoughts out of your head to just focus on the right things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we've probably got tons of them in so many different ways, and it's, it's about discovering them and then addressing them and getting them out of the way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also, there's definitely an element of knowing how to talk about what you want. Like, just even being able to talk about that, especially with oral sex, I find. Being able yeah. to describe, like, this is uncomfortable for me, or this is too intense for me. It's not even that it's taking a long time because you don't want oral sex, but it's taking a long time because the oral sex isn't exactly what you want. Yes. Some yeah. people's bodies are very specific. Mm-hmm. Any tips on how to talk to men to... Uh, to encourage them to do things differently without hurting their egos or making them think that what they're doing is wrong? Because it Bef- could be c- totally great what they're doing, but I would suggest you have some improvements. before sex. I would have the conversation before sex so they're ready for that conversation to happen during sex. Mm-hmm. So I would prepare people before you, as opposed to just blindsiding them while they're literally tongue deep in one of your orifices. <laughs> like, it's, it's nice to just like coach them beforehand. Hey, I've had some ideas about how to make oral sex even better, and I'm really interested in being able to, if you want, you can even frame it in terms of them. You can even frame it in terms of the male ego if you find yourself in that relationship where you feel like you need to be sensitive about that fragility, that masculine yeah. fragility. Well, can, and, and I don't speak it just for myself. I think it's sure. a common 
Sure. You can you can absolutely frame it as like for me to come for you. Like I want mm -hmm. to come for you and I want to do that quickly. And I'm interested in trying to make the experience even better. Um, yeah. And then you can kind of go from there, talk about um, anxieties that might be. Um, and, and again, this this is not something I'd necessarily recommend that people talk in terms of um, hiding the true nature of things. So like if the true nature of things is this person sucks at doing oral. Um, it's also okay to say that, <laughs> right? Like it's okay to just have like an honest conversation about where things are. And I also, but that's me. I'm very, very blunt. However, I also respect that it's different in terms of socialization, that women are sometimes held to an unfair or higher standard about being kind or compassionate or mm -hmm. um, doing emotional labor around sex, which is bullshit, but it is what it is. <laughs> and if you find yourself in a situation where you are being held to that standard, I understand why you might want to sugarcoat things a little. Yeah. might just make things easier, take less time. Then you can talk about it in terms of here are ways of making it even better. Here are ways of helping you really like make your skills super accurate and precise. Here's a way of, of um, helping direct your skills to the right part of my body. Yeah. those sorts of conversations and then if they're open to like are you open to making this even better for me I'm curious how fast I can come like I'm curious about making this like a record type situation and here are the risks it may not happen at all it may get too intense for me it may be too fast for me it may be too this it may be too that it may be not enough this and you sort of like give them the map of like here's the goal of what I want to do is this something you're interested in? I think typically you'll get a yes, especially yeah. if you frame it in terms of like, yeah. for me to come for you, because it seems more like a monogamous like exchange. I think men, they just, they want to please, but they just doesn't necessarily know how to. There's so. also a lot of toxic masculinity in and around performative mm -hmm. masculinity. If you make someone come, you're a man. And mm -hmm. that's not necessarily conducive to an intimate or healthy relationship. Yeah, but there is a lot of pressure around that. Definitely. You're a man and the woman's a woman. I mean, that is what people tell me. Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> you're born no, in, in a heterosexual. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> you, you know, the difference is you're born as a woman, but you have to be a man. How, say, say that again. You're born as a woman naturally. You don't have to prove it, but then you have to be a man. Like, oh, be, I kind of am getting males. what you're... Yeah, for males, males like, that's the that's all societal conditioning. And women can remain women versus... If you're born, if you're born a male, you right. have to prove you're man. See, to me, that's like such a flawed idea of anything, because like it's when it's very you, flawed, it is. But right. that's what society's conditioned to think. And there, there are certain reasons behind that that I think are mistaken. Like when a fetus is is gestating and it's not, um, and it hasn't had like a committed sexual development yet in its in its um, development there are people that will say that we're all born female sort of thing and no but we mean in socialization right yes. right yeah and and i think you've and that's what it's hard for men you you've hit on an interesting point but i'm not sure and again it's not really it doesn't fair mean we agree with it but sure. i'm just saying I'm, I'm just saying that's what society is conditioned to think cuz it doesn't take much work to be to be a woman you're you're a woman right like, i don't know i think it takes tons of work well no, but the, in the sense the that labeling. you can be sensitive yeah. you can um, right. a woman has a choice for career or, or like a married woman sure with a provider has a choice of career staying at home for I mean, a male, I, that's a lot harder in this society. I suppose that's true, but for a woman Even to go they to, should. I would say for a woman to go to work is a lot harder, especially if she has kids, and she'll get paid less for it. 
Oh yeah, no, compared to a man at a job, but that's right. not that's not what I mean. I mean yeah. the the. F- uh, yeah, I don't think we were talking about the same thing okay. in terms of. Yeah. Like, no, I totally I get I where you're absolutely no women have sure. their struggles. Yeah. Please. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think for like when we're talking from a sex standpoint, right? Yeah. A man he has to perform. Be a man, if he if he he can make a woman come but don't he th- performs. But we talked earlier about how much it's important for women to please, quote-unquote, their men. Yeah. Well, it is, but... Women fake like, orgasms. You, but you, you mentioned it. If a man is, you know, he wants to make you come because that's yeah. what makes him a man. But but don't you think being beautiful, being pursued, being sought after is is almost like the feminine mirrored version of that? Yeah. But you wouldn't you'll you'll still be a woman no matter if you're not beautiful or, or beautiful. But as a man, if you don't perform and if you don't man up and if you don't Sure. Then you are less of a man. Like right. you know, you you get that saying all the time. Be a man, right? I, so whatever. I'm seeing the asymmetry that you're talking about, and I think it comes back to what what third what third and fourth wave feminism call hegemonic gender, and it's this really unnecessarily academic term that just talks about how genders are constructed in society so that one gender is inherently superior or advantaged over the other genders. For example, if a woman is being quote unquote a tomboy, if she's wearing jeans, if she's mm-hmm. if she's, you know, going to law school, like these sorts of things aren't seen as shameful if um, by traditional society. It may sort of be like, oh, that's not a woman's place. And there may be like that kind of really shitty lang- language and, mm-hmm. and the challenges of yeah. breaking into the industry and into Yes, the- absolutely. And there'll be a lot of resistance, but it isn't shameful in the same way that taking this this amazing quote unquote lottery winning status of being um, assigned male at birth and then being able to perform masculine gender where you aren't going to be called bossy or bitchy if you're trying to get ahead mm-hmm. of work. You know, you're going to be called decisive. You're going to be called a leader. You're going to get a lot of th- that sort of encouraging language to be um, potentially yeah. even ruthless, depending on what your job is. Yeah. In a way that a woman typically would not be rewarded for. Can I be. can I give you an example of when yes, a man please, may please. experience that? In yeah. in the example that you just please gave. Do. Yeah. Is a smaller man. Yeah. A five foot man. Yeah. Who is corporate and powerful yeah. and doing all the roles that you just gave to yeah. the woman who's, quote unquote butchy and sure and then the man that you just talked about who is quote unquote masculine and a smaller man will be treated like a woman he'll be napoleon complex he he has a uh, something like some beef because everyone bullied him for being short all these other things so there are it's interesting because there's a pocket of males that actually do experience that but we never acknowledge them yeah no, I totally agree, yeah. and I think there's definitely... And this isn't my pro-male thing, but it's just, I find it interesting for men to be able to relate to it, yeah. um, to relate to what it's like to be a woman. They can put themselves in a physical place that most, that your stereotype men isn't, to actually feel what it would be like, or how mm-hmm. they may have judged another male. Well, definitely, like if a man is, for example, staying at home with kids, there's a lot of shame around that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, anything that's seen as, as not masculine, there's tons of shame around. Yeah in a way that, that I think a lot of women doing feminine things don't necessarily experience mm-hmm. in the same way. They tend to experience it differently. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's not really comparative, right? Like they're, no. they're just very different types of mm-hmm. struggles. But I think, um, going back to what you were saying, Lisa, in, in an intimate relationship, yeah. the man does have to come. I mean, At I guess so, At the end so, of the day, yeah. for the most, like in a stereotype. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you are the man. He's gotta get it up and he's gotta have an orgasm. Yeah, those are the expectations. Those are the expectations. 
which and for the woman she doesn't always have to orgasm or if she really doesn't want to she can fake it but it, there's not there's no there's nothing weighing on her femininity and her identity in the bedroom the way it is for the man other than having to submit to that other mm -hmm. than having hers are different yeah they're just different struggles they're different mm -hmm. struggles and this is again assuming a heterosexual relationship yeah, I, exactly. you know what i it, i i am i am totally talking heterosexual 100% yeah. and that should have been said from the beginning and it was, and it was. Yeah. You did a good job of saying that, I think. Yeah. Because I can't speak for any other type of relationship. I've never had one. Right, right. So Yet. we talked a little bit about smell and taste, and, and I felt like the two of you have kind of been dodging the question for quite a while. Dodging the question? I don't know, like, what, could you be a little bit more specific? The taste sure, of like, what? Sure, and we can talk about that, like, shame involving smell and taste. And what I got from you, Lisa, was that smell in general typically isn't an aphrodisiac for you. Well, it's a negative. Like if someone right. has it's really a bad bo, right. that's a big yeah, sure. that's a big turn off. I, I feel the same way. Yeah. Um, so what about taste? Do you find that taste tends to be a negative for you, or do you find there's shame associated with that? Um, no, taste is fine. Uh, but I do have to say, it, cannabis does make it a lot better. Okay. Uh, I was never one to enjoy oral sex until my second marriage. Right. <laughs> what about you, Paula? Yeah. Uh, I mean, strong, pungent scents are not my thing, but not so much because of the smell, but because of what it reflects. So it may reflect somebody that it, that isn't, you know, taking care of themselves totally. or isn't feeling good about themselves, like all the things that are usually associated with, with uh, an unclean body and the odors that go with it. So it's mm -hmm. more that than the actual smell. It's just that person most likely is going to carry a vibe that's less appealing and less attractive. Cool. But natural smells I have no problem with. And in fact, I think we should embrace them more. I agree. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having a conversation about shame. Is there anything else the two of you wanted to talk about in regards to shame? Um, no, I don't think so. Well, I think we'd like to encourage more women, especially in our from our generations, to to start exploring sex again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because we didn't, um, and I know you, you mentioned that you were in a very homophobic society, and, but I'll tell you, like even the younger kids now, they're so fortunate. They they're so fortunate they even have the conversation of what is my identity, mm -hmm. because, because that was never even a, a a conversation I knew existed when I was growing up. Right. You just as a girl, you like boys. Right. There was not there's there was no discussion to be had about it. And when you had sex, it was very much a very simple version of sex. And if you went really crazy, you might do a funny position. But that was like. They were maybe two to pick from, and now when we're when we're talking to younger people and learning what's going on, it is mind blowing. It's opened our eyes, yeah. and women our age don't know what's going on and how much more fun sex can be. So it would be like, don't think your sex drive is dead. Yes. There's still tons in there. You can enjoy sex right up until the day you die at a hundred. If sex gets better with age, it gets better with it. Go and explore and learn more because learning and talking about it gets you lit up and it'll get you more interested in it and you're missing out. It's so healthy, the chemicals it releases. Definitely. Um, it makes you vibrant, alive, it makes you glow. So for all the women that think that their sex desires are dead, they're actually not. They're just kind of being buried in there and they can find it again. Just wake it up. Wake it up. Awesome. Thank you so much for having the conversation. Thank you. So how did you like it, Intimates? Leave your comments on facebook.com slash intimate interactions or directly on patreon.com slash Victor Salmon. Both communities are easy to find from intimatepodcast.com. So what are you waiting for? Go join the free Intimates community and start connecting with others. I'll see you on there. Disclaimer. 
I apologize if I said something that hit a nerve or played off a hateful idea or stereotype. I'm open to being called in. Chances are, in six months, I'll look back aghast and see something problematic I've since grown from. I'm certainly not perfect, but I am trying to be mindful of the voices I lift up and the perspectives I encourage. You can email feedback to podcast at victorsalmon.com. Thanks for your kindness. Attribution. The tracks I use are published under the Creative Commons Attribution License. The intro track was Lost Souls by Portrayal, and the outro track was Restoration by Uncle Milk. Land Acknowledgement. I apologize first for any pronunciations I might butcher. I wanted to acknowledge that I recorded this podcast on the unceded traditional Coast Salish territories of the Musqueam, Kwantlen, Stazuminus, Stolo, Sawasan, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Shout out to the Sekwepmek Nation, on whose land I got my degree, considering the Kamloops Indian Residential School closed only in 1996 when I was 10, I have found nothing but unending patience and kindness in the Tekemlupste Sekwepmek folks with whom I've interacted. Let's never forget genocide in the hope we don't make the same dehumanizing, cruel mistakes again. Thank you.